0: Coming up, the Milwaukee Bucks avoid an 0-3 hole in the NBA Finals with a convincing win at home last night. Can they even up the series and pull off another 0-2 comeback to capture their first title in 50 years? The Tampa Bay Lightning strike again as they win back-to-back Stanley Cups, but can they do something that hasn't been done in almost 40 years? MLB is at the All-Star break as we take a look at who's hot and who's not around the diamond. Novak Djokovic has done it again. He's now one step away from winning a calendar Grand Slam the first time that has happened in 52 years. Can he do it? Conor McGregor goes down in the heap on Saturday night against Dustin Poirier. Is this the beginning of the end or is a comeback in the cards? I'll preview the final major golf tournament of the year as it's set to begin on Thursday. I also have something to say that's going to upset the soccer fan. You don't have to think long and hard as to what direction I'll be going with that. Where else are you going to get all these sports? Everything that I just mentioned in one podcast Well, if it's sports that you crave, I'll be sure to satiate your appetite. It's all coming right up. But first, this message. Hey everybody, J Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. On Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I can flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So, with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, and great spirits as we're already approaching mid-July, but the sports world continues to stay hot with lots going on. And you're in good hands as I get into everything that's happening and share my thoughts on all of it as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 203 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, July the 12th in the year of our Lord 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect here on this podcast is as follows. The Tampa Bay Lightning cruise to another Stanley Cup championship Backed by their defense and the con Smythe winner, the MVP and one Andre Vasilevsky. Now the real question is, can they run it back one more time as they'll attempt to do something that hasn't been done since 1982? I'll have the answer for that later on in the podcast, as well as Major League Baseball. Reaching the All-Star break as Denver will be the scene over the course of the next couple of days for the Home Run Derby and the All-Star game itself. I'll take a look at both the pretenders and contenders to prepare you for what could be a rather ho hum second half of the baseball season. Novak Djokovic is now one major victory away from immortality, looking to become the first player in 52 years to win the Calendar Grand Slam. Can he complete what seems like the impossible? I'll get into that later on. The last major tournament in golf will commence across the pond on Thursday at the British Royal St. George in the southeast of England. I'll preview who could possibly be at the top of the leaderboard and can win the British Open. Also, the Euro Cup. I'm going to spend a couple of minutes on that. Italy defeats England in the penalty kicks. And I have a major problem with that as to why I can't take this championship or anyone or any championship, whether it's Euro Cup, World Cup, etc. Seriously, so you know I got to throw in my two cents on that. Everything that's going on. Conor McGregor there on Saturday night against Dustin Poirier unfortunately it didn't end the way the MMA UFC fight fan would want but is a comeback in the cards he's already said some things I'll throw in my two cents on that as well as my hero and zero of the week as we reach the halfway point of the baseball season the demarcation of the first and second halves we all know that a lot of teams have played more than the 81 games to start off this 2021 season And with the winter sports winding down, we know about the NHL champion, the back-to-back champion and the one, Tampa Bay Lightning, which I'll get to in a moment. But with the training camps and NFL getting ready to kick off in a couple of weeks, and now as we inch closer to crowning a champion in basketball, and that's where we're going to start here, because as we usher out these winter sports and get ready for a summer with baseball and obviously the NFL will be front and center here over the course of the next few weeks the basketballs now took a little bit of a turn here in an NBA final where the Milwaukee Bucks had gone to Phoenix in games one and two on Thursday and prior to that to open up the series on a Tuesday and the games were competitive but they certainly weren't nail-biting the white-knuckler edgier seat type because the Suns were pretty much in cruise control, whether your name was Chris Paul in game one, just dominating the game, picking up from where he left off in game six against the Los Angeles Clippers in the Western Conference Final, to where he started the game, not scoring a point in the first quarter, but he ends it with 35, his typical fadeaways from the elbow, distributing, making his teammates better, DeAndre Ayton, what a monster game, and the Bucks, although they tried to make it competitive, they cut it to... Seven before the Suns were able to pull away and that was the first game we'd seen Giannis Attentacumbo come back from the knee injury that he suffered in the series against the Hawks and although he put up 20 and 17 was pretty much fresh as a daisy in that first half but the second half he started to slow down so it made you think that maybe his knee isn't fully 100% and if that was going to be the case this was going to be a short series as we saw in game two pretty much the same deal there where Devin Booker was the guy in the spotlight shooting the lights out of the ball, 7 for 12 from 3, 31 points, he did shoot 12 for 25 for the game, which isn't great, but considering he had some dagger threes where the Bucks were trying to get themselves back in the game, but like I said, they weren't really a threat, whether it was in game 1 cutting it to 7, and even in game number 2, them trying to cut the lead into single digits, but Booker was just there with the dagger 3 after dagger 3, and... The Suns just cruised to a 2-0 series lead, which was expected. Suns have been on fire this whole postseason. We know how they performed here, waiting for this moment for Chris Paul. The young guys, whether you're DeAndre Ayton or even Devin Booker for that matter, ready to take their games to the next level and come that closer to winning the franchise's first ever championship. But then when you fast forward last night to game three in Milwaukee, the scene shifts, pretty much nip and tuck back and forth there in the first half, although the Bucks were able to take control there toward the end of the first half, and not necessarily pull away, but get themselves into a lead in their building in front of their fans, and then pretty much, to me, where the game turned around, where the Bucks were able to close out the third quarter on a 16-0 run, which turned an 82-76 game into a 22-point lead, and they didn't look back. The Bucs were able to impose their will on the Suns team where Chris Paul did not have it. Same for Devin Booker. DeAndre Ayton was in foul trouble. They couldn't get anything else from their supporting cast, whether your name is Campaign or even Cameron Johnson. Same for Jay Crowder, although he hit a few threes. But again, the Suns were no match in the second half as the Bucs pulled away. And Giannis, who's been the story here and not only last night's game where he had 41 points. A lot of those points in the paint but also the 42.12 rebound game that he had in game number two to where now as we look forward to this pivotal game four it is all about how are the Suns going to be able to slow down the freight train that is the Greek freak as you've seen his knee looks as close to 100% as possible he talked about it in the post game how it's mental how he has to play downhill how he has to be aggressive and as long as he does that Provided that the Suns do not come up with a defensive game plan or to build that wall, I'm sure they're going to go back to the videotapes of the 2019 Eastern Conference Finals where the Toronto Raptors were able to thwart the Bucs after leading in that series two games to none and then they pretty much swept them out of the postseason from there on out. And the Suns who need DeAndre Ayton on the floor because he has the size, he has the length, and even the strength to match with Giannis combo, But when Giannis is in that low block, when he's within 10 feet of the basket, the guy is unstoppable. We know he's built like the Greek god that he is. And although he's not seven one and 300 some odd pounds like Shaq was back in the day, but he's a guy that's going to garner a lot of attention, that's going to get a lot of contact, And there's going to be a lot of whistles and a lot of free throw attempts as you saw last night where he connected on 13 of 17. Didn't have to worry about the Suns fans who had to count up to 13 at times because he takes forever at the free throw line. But he was able to not only execute on the floor, but also at the charity stripe. And I get that Monty Williams was frustrated at the end of the game coming out saying that the disparity of the free throws where the Suns had 16 and one person had 17. Well, hold on now. I got nothing against Monty Williams, but did he look at the stats in game one, where his team not only made 25 of 26, but the disparity was 26 to 16 when it came to the free throws. So I understand he's trying to throw the ball back in the officials courts where Mike Budenholzer did the same thing after game one. So now this is a little touche on Monty Williams' part. And I get that's the whole tactic here. But he can't really complain or bitch and moan too much because all he has to do is look at game one and how that unfolded. So with Giannis now being the guy who could pretty much take over the games and we even saw it in a losing effort there in game two, I'm sure Monty Williams and company right now are trying to devise a plan, any plan, to slow this man down because they have not gotten a lot of support there. The bucks that is from Chris Middleton. Now Drew Holiday did give you a contribution last night as he shot 5 for 10 from 3, 21 points in the game, but Middleton other than game 1 has not really given you a lot and you know that game is coming. It's weird with Middleton because when you expect him to give you that extra effort, when you expect him to explode and have that 38 point performance or explosion where he puts up 7 or 8 threes in a game and it doesn't come through, you say to yourself, well, why is this man invisible? But then when you don't expect it, that's when he comes out and has a monster game. So with Middleton, you're going to get a lot of hot and cold, you're going to get a lot of inconsistency there, so who knows? Maybe we'll see that here in a game four, but right now, the focal point is on Giannis because the guy, when he goes downhill and when he's in an open court, in transition, the guy, as we all know, is unstoppable. It's interesting that he mentioned in the post game, as I said earlier, how he wants to put the attack onto the basket, which is his biggest strength. We all know that the Suns will be more than happy to roll out a red carpet to the three-point line or somewhere outside of 17, 18, 19 feet to the basket for him to shoot jumpers all day. And if he were to make all of them, then you know what? You'd have to adjust your defense. But at the same time, they know that once Giannis gets rolling like that, And to be able to come up with any type of game plan to stop him is going to be pretty much not only the key to game four, but the rest of the series. Because now the momentum is back on the Bucs side. And we've seen these type of series before where the home court holds serve and then it goes back to game five. And it's just a matter of who's going to come out then. Of course, the Suns will have their crowd. The Suns will be raring to go. We still have game four ahead of us, so we can't jump the gun to think that the Bucs It's a foregone conclusion that they're going to win game four, but we see how these series have shifted once it's in their home building, and it kind of looks as of right now with the way these games have unfolded and the way that they've shaken down to the point where they haven't really been competitive or they haven't really been thrilling come the latter stages of these games, especially deep into the fourth quarter where we're at the edge of our seat and we're wondering who's going to make a big play, a defensive stop or a key basket down a stretch. We haven't seen that so far. Now, there usually is that one game where we'll finally see that. Which one will that be? Who knows? We know the series is going five games. We know that the Suns are going to do whatever it takes to try to slow down Giannis because they know that even if Giannis doesn't go off to have that 40 point explosion that he's been able to do here these last two nights, knowing that Chris Middleton hasn't gone off. And Drew Holiday, you expect some offense, but for him to get in the low 20s was a big plus. I know Connaughton had a contribution. He did not play well in game two. I think that Boone stuck with him a little bit too long. Turnovers. Defensively, he was getting walked around. But role players are going to play an enormous part here because whether you're at home where generally the role players do excel and they have that extra pep in the step. But the Suns got to find another outlet, somebody else other than Paul and Booker to throw some change into the pot because if it's just going to be those two guys, especially when the game is in Milwaukee, at home is a different story because we've seen how players, when they're in their friendly confines, they're able to put forth an extra effort. But the Suns right now, between Booker not shooting well there last night, Paul, okay, he's going to come down from a game. He can't kill him on that. But Ayton being in foul trouble, that is a big no-no if you're a Suns fan. And what else are you going to get from Jay Crowder? What else are you going to get from Cameron Johnson, campaign, etc. down the line? Because we all know that the benches get shorter as we get deeper into these series. So if you're a Buck fan, you're feeling good this morning, you know you got to get one more. And the Giannis train is on the express track right now. But... With two days off, really three when you think about it, because game four will pick up on Wednesday. And it's because of the time of year, it's a very interesting and kind of unusual break here. Because with the NBA finals, historically, you usually have the Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. This year they moved it up, which was great on the NBA's part because it was scheduled to start on Thursday. But because the series had ended early for both the Suns and the Bucks, they were able to move it up to Tuesday night. So now with game four being Wednesday, and generally over the last few years, they have moved game four to Wednesday, but generally the game five or the follow-up game would be on Friday. So you'll have game four Wednesday night, but then game five will be three nights later on a Saturday in Phoenix. And then to follow that up will be a game six three nights later in Milwaukee, but then it'll be back to normal with the two-game turnaround or two-day turnaround, I should say. So if the series does go to a seventh game, it'll be on a Thursday. So again, to review, Game 4 Wednesday in Milwaukee, Game 5 Saturday in Phoenix, Game 6 Tuesday back in Milwaukee, and then a Game 7 the following Thursday. So it seems like the NBA Finals could go as far as July 31st. No, I exaggerate. It'll be the 22nd. So who is this going to help in this regard? I think it's going to help more the older legs and a guy like Chris Paul. It also will help Giannis too with his knee. Why not? An extra day is going to help here and there as we will only see two games here over the course of the next five days. But I would think for the Suns, it does benefit them because they have an extra day to see what they could do to throw more bodies at Antetokounmpo, to build that wall, especially when they're in transition or even down low, maybe they could dig up a guy off the bench to just add six more fouls, whomever that may be. And with the Suns knowing that Giannis is that dominant player, that guy that could pretty much take over this series and has done so in the last two games, mind you that they've split those two games, but the one thing he does not want to see is that Giannis continues to go off And not being able to slow him down Or even to wear him down for that matter To where the Suns Have thrown everything but the kitchen sink at him And they still For whatever reason Can't stop him That's going to be Monty Williams' Nightmares here For the next 48 hours Now Again these games have not been good I get that in both the first and second games Milwaukee have made some runs there To keep it close Within single digits But I mean, please, I mean, those games were never, ever going to come down to the wire. I certainly wasn't worried watching them. I didn't think that the Suns were going to pull to within a tie, or even take the lead in those games. And then last night, what could you say? 22 point lead going into the fourth quarter. And we saw how that went down. So now we have a series where it's all going to be on game four, whether the Bucks will even the series or if the. Suns will be able to go home with a 3-1 lead to try to ice this series and win a championship as I said for the first time in a franchise's history of course will be the first for Chris Paul I know the NBA has their fingers and toes crossed to hope that Giannis has another monster effort a big-time performance ahead of him so they could bring this back to Phoenix with a best of three and remember the Bucks have been in this scenario before they were down 0-2 to Brooklyn before coming home winning a nail-biter there in a game three. Of course, winning a game four before bringing it back to Brooklyn and that we know about the performance there by Kevin Durant scoring, I forgot what it was, it seemed like it was six months ago where he played all 48 minutes, I believe he scored close to 50 points, if not had 50 points in the game, and then we know that the Bucks were able to prevail winning a game six at home behind Chris Middleton and then in the overtime against the Nets before moving on to play the Hawks. So they have the medal, they had the fortitude, they've been through the rigors here, they know what it's like, and now you wonder whether or not they're going to be able to, I'm not going to say flick the switch, but know that this is familiar territory for them, that they're able to put themselves in a big deficit and will dig out of it without a problem, but they still have another game to go before they could take a big deep sigh of relief and fly back to Phoenix knowing that There are two wins away, and in particular, one road win away from winning a championship in their building, provided that they win the game five and not game seven. Because, I'll say it right now, if this goes to a seventh game, which the good thing is, is that by this time next week, they'll already be at the end of game five, so we'll have an idea as to who will be in the lead and who will have an advantage to go ahead and win an NBA final, whether it be 3-2. Milwaukee or 3-2 Phoenix or who knows I may be here next Monday talking about how the Suns are the champions and now it's on to the NBA draft so a lot of that to cover and again on the whole series has not been great we've had some great performances but nothing to write home about as far as drama is concerned so let's see if that changes here over the course of the next two games before we reconnect here next week to discuss it all in reference to the NBA finals and one coaching note to Discuss here briefly the Orlando Magic hire Jamal Mosley. He was a former Dallas Mavericks assistant to become their head coach. A guy that I would have know and couldn't pick him out of a lineup, but I'm sure with a young guy, analytics, the way the game is played today, obviously not going to pay him a ton of money. And that's a, an organization that's certainly going to build from the ground up. I believe they have the second pick overall. No, as a matter of fact, I believe they have two picks here in the first round I know they get uh, Chicago's pick with the Vucevic trade and I think they're somewhere between 5 and 8 hopefully they can get some good players hopefully they can turn it around but we know the magic pretty much since Shaq left back in what was that 2000 excuse me 2000 Jeez, J Reels 1996 when he left that many moons ago that the magic have not been the same granted that they did make it to an NBA final in 2009 behind Dwight Howard and company but ever since the Shaq-Penny experiment faulted and leading to the exodus of O'Neal's trip to Hollywood and the West Coast the Magic will certainly need all the help that they can get and hopefully with the first time coach head coach that is in Jamal Mosley they'll be able to slowly but surely turn it around and be of some sort of relevance in the NBA all right now let me turn my attention to the Stanley Cup Finals which Concluded there on Wednesday night. The Canadians were able to save some face and show a little pride as they win game four in their building. The Lightning, who actually tied the game with about seven minutes to go in the third period by Pat Maroon, of all people, he of the fourth line on the Lightning. And right there, it made me think that there's no way the Lightning are lose this game. So when you have your fourth liner chipping in like that, and we've seen this throughout the postseason with the lightning whether your name is Blake Coleman with the tipping goal in game two which a lot of people may look as the turnaround of the series when you have another guy and I'll get to in a second who got the game winner in a game number five who contributed to a big goal there Ah, what the hell I'll go right to it now where Ross Colton got the pass there that was tipped into an empty net about 13 minutes into the second period And from that point on, it just made you think, the only question that needs to be answered is Andre Vasilevsky being able to give up a goal here over the final period plus, because as we've seen throughout the past two postseasons now, dating back to the Stanley Cup final last year against the Dallas Stars, he's been able to close these games out with shutouts, Series after series after series. So whether you're Dallas last year, whether you're Florida in the first round, this year, Carolina in the second round, the Islands in the third round, and now here, Stanley Cup final after the Canadians brought the series back to Tampa to where the, as I said last week, the mayor of Tampa, Jane Castor, was talking about how the Lightning should just give the game to Montreal so they could come back and celebrate on their home ice. Well, obviously as prophetic as that was for her and Vasilevsky sealed the deal another shutout Ross Colton again another guy that was unexpected where you have firepower throughout this lineup and we know who the guys are do I need to even break down the list the Braden points and Nikita Kucherovs yeah you know who they are so the Tampa Bay Lightning they do it again twice as nice lightning strikes twice whatever you want to call it they win in the bubble in Edmonton last year and now in another shortened season but going through the playoffs in the way they did, in ending it in grand fashion, bookending both last year's Stanley Cup with this one, with shutouts, and what could you say? The Lightning are by far the best team in the league, they've shown it, they have the talent, we've talked about this, it seems like ad nauseum here for the last several weeks, but now comes the main question if you ask me when we look at this team, can they go for 3 And when you look at the free agents this coming off season, it's not as if a lot of their key guys are going to be up for contracts and big money. So the only guys we look at this list here, and there are important guys, but guys like Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrow, David Savard, the defenseman, Luke Shen, another rugged defenseman. Those are your unrestricted free agents here. These are guys that are lunch pail, grit guys, and you need to have them, especially in the National Hockey League. But are you going to lose sleep over them if they sign elsewhere? Are these guys that pivotal and that critical for your team's success? I understand you could argue maybe yes, when Blake Coleman, that game two goal, and how acrobatic and athletic it was. And you could look at some of these guys that where they're on a team that needs to have that extra push that needs to have that extra toughness and granted that these are guys that are pretty much at the bottom of the roster when it comes to talent and we know the NHL they're full of guys like this and they've won cups and they've been able to show their experience and show their metal in big moments and in key spots but as long as you're not the Nikita Kucherovs of the world as long as you're not the Victor Hedman's the top guys, Orion McDonough's across the board, where these guys are looking to jump ship for not only bigger paydays, but also even bigger potential winning elsewhere. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to three-peat, but they're going to be in good position to do so. But here's the problem. Next year is going to be a year where they're going to play all 82 games, travel across the country, into Canada, and go through the four rounds of postseason games. And remember, they just won the Stanley Cup last week, which was pretty much a little bit more than nine months ago, winning the cup up in Edmonton. Now they're going to have a little bit of a layoff here, but training camp's going to start two weeks from about this time right now. And now they're to have to do it all over again for 82 games. Even with their core coming back, the goalie, defenseman, all the guys that I mentioned, is it going to be enough for them to do something that hasn't been done since 1982? or if you want to say 83, because the Islanders won four straight Cups then, but the Islanders were the last team to win more than back-to-back Cups, and that's going 40 years plus. Because the Red Wings of the 97-98 season, they weren't able to get to the Cup in 99, that was the year that the Dallas Stars won. And most recently with the Pittsburgh Penguins winning back-to-back there just five years ago, but they weren't able to get back to a cup in 18 that's when it got thwarted by the Washington Capitals and they won the cup that year so all of hockey when the time comes is going to wonder whether or not this juggernaut is going to be able to make it back to a cup to 3 i I'm going to tell you right now they're not going to do so too many miles on that tire That's not to say they can't do it I'm not going to sit here and say that they can't And everybody knows If you listen a couple of podcasts ago I believe episode 2 Maybe 199 After the Islanders series Where I made my bold prediction If the Islanders do face the Tampa Bay Lightning God willing In a conference final But I think to do it Run it back Three straight years With everything that they've had to endure here Over the course of the last I mean think about this The NHL postseason last year started on July 31st. They just finished winning two cups over that span in less than a year. When was that game on Wednesday? That was the seventh, I believe, off the top of my head. So from July 31st, when they started their journey throughout the postseason up until this past Wednesday, they played a ton of games. Mind you, 56 game regular season Mind you a long break Because of COVID From last March Up until July But can they do it again now Before a full Complete 82 game season With four rounds of playoffs And teams that are going to be Gunning after them And who knows What's going to happen With injuries And as I said A lot of mileage On these guys Granted that they're all Pretty much in the prime Of their careers But still That's going to be a lot to ask So I'm going to say right now That's going to be a no For me dog And Again, I'm not trying to throw ice water on them I, People are probably wondering Oh, but come on, Jay Reels they, they just won two cups. Give them credit I give them all the credit in the world I mean, how could you not? I don't care if it's short season, long season Half a season Doesn't matter They're champions And give it up Tampa's now title town, USA Imagine if the Rays won last year That would really be title town. But The odds are going to be against them Because Of everything I just mentioned and that has to be discussed considering they went back to back. I'm not going to wait till late September, early October to do an NHL preview to discuss that. I'm going to discuss it now because are you hearing that anywhere else throughout TV, radio, podcasts about Tampa going for a three-peat that again hasn't been done in 40 years? So yes, I'm going to bring up that question today and my answer is a resounding no. So we'll see. Now the NHL draft's coming up. I couldn't even tell you who's going to be number one overall. Not like last year where Alexis Lafreniere was the guy and he of course was drafted by the Rangers. But I'll keep an eye on it. I believe the draft is probably within days. If it's not this week, it's probably the following week. I know the NBA draft is at the end of the month. I believe on the 29th. And the NHL draft will probably be before that which I know is usually on a Friday. So maybe it's this coming Friday for all I know or if not the following. That remains to be seen. But the NHL season is now done, it's over, and we could put the first winter sport to rest as now we wait for basketball to crown a champion, hopefully within the next, uh, I don't want to say this week, because that means the season will be over. We're hoping that the games go into the following week so we could discuss it, but as we know, but pretty much in the next 10 days or so, we will crown an NBA champion. All right, now to turn the attention to what's going on recently, and still got a lot to cover here where we have to talk about Novak Djokovic, we also have to get into the British Open, which will start on Thursday, I'll do a little preview of that, and also the Euro Cup yesterday, which I get people are going to be furious at me for the three soccer fans that may listen to this, and listen, I don't want to be insensitive towards soccer, I have nothing against the sport, I know it's an exciting sport, but growing up, soccer wasn't really exposed and I know there was the New York Cosmos here back in the 70s with Pele and Giorgio Canaglia I get it but soccer's a sport that unless it's the World Cup and of course I get into that a little bit and I follow it but I do have one point and one big giant bone of contention and it's not necessarily just on soccer itself unfortunately it falls in their lap in this regard but I'll get into that later on of course my hero on Zero of the Week as well but now with the all-star break here baseball has reached a point And we've been talking about this for weeks where to separate the contenders from the pretenders, there isn't really a lot to sort out here. And I don't want to sound like Mr. Doomsday or, oh, geez, this baseball summer is going to be boring or this is why a lot of people have fallen off with baseball. Why didn't they bring back these seven teams to like last year to have a two out of three and get more teams involved as far as the pennant races are concerned? All those points are valid. But the one thing that you look up and you take a look at the standings and it's pretty much status quo that it has been since the middle of June. And that there are teams that are pretty much, I'm not going to say entrenched because anything could happen here over the last, what do we have, 70 games or so of the regular season. But it looks like there's not going to be a lot of drama. Now, I'll get into some of the news in particulars in a moment because I figured I'd work backwards here. Usually, I talk about the news and notes and get through all that before I go through the races. But I kind of want to put this out now only because there isn't going to be much to discuss. We know that the Red Sox have been in first place here pretty much for the last, I'd say, three and a half weeks or so. Now, they've been nip and tuck with the Rays But the Rays only won back on the loss, so you can't go crazy. But they're a game and a half behind them in the division. The Blue Jays and Yankees are both eight out. And I can't even look at the wild card right now, but I'll give that to you because we'll start focusing on the wild card, especially as we get closer to the trade deadline, which will be on the 31st, which is a Saturday. So that's something that a lot of people are going to pay attention to. But right now, when you're looking at the wild card as it's constituted here on the 12th of July you have the Mariners, the Blue Jays, Indians, Yankees, and Anaheim Angels. I still like to call them Anaheim, excuse me, are within an arm's length of the second playoff spot, which is right now the Oakland Athletics, who are two games or three in the loss behind the rays for the first wild card spot in the American League. And yes, we could look at the wild card and there's gonna be some drama there, you would think, but here's my problem. Are the Mariners going to make some moves at the deadline to bring in some reinforcements to go ahead and try to get themselves a wildcard position? Are the Toronto Blue Jays going to do the same? Although I think the Blue Jays may be a little bit more equipped to make some deals, where Seattle is still a team that's trying to figure out their identity. It's a team that, yes, has played well and has overachieved so far, but are they really going to be a threat here in the second half? Probably not. The Blue Jays can be. The Indians are kind of that team in between where they have the good starting pitching. Their lineup is, eh, I'm not going to say from hunger, but nobody's going to scare you out of your boots unless your name is Jose Ramirez. And then you have the Yankees after that, which obviously is going to be a big threat. But with the way they performed and especially how they closed out their first half yesterday, the week on a whole was great. Thinking back to last Sunday night where they were able to salvage that final game against the Mets. They win two out of three in Seattle, although they got shut out in the last game before going to Houston and putting up goose eggs against the Astros to where they win 4 nothing and one nothing. highlighted by the Saturday night game where Garrett Cole threw 129 pitches was absolutely dominant and especially at the end was gutty gritty. Aaron Boone came out to the mound and I know he said that oh, I was just checking the temperature. I'm sure he probably wanted to pull him, but then when you look at yesterday's game, You knew, deep down inside, that there was no way, and I don't even think anybody was warming up at the bullpen at that time, in the ninth inning of the game Saturday night, but you saw Cole, as he said in the postgame, he was spewing expletives on the mound, he kind of blacked out, didn't know what was going on, and he was just gutty, what could you say? The guy was able to get through it, after that leadoff single by Altuve, but then yesterday's game, with a 7-2 lead in the ninth inning, and Chad Green unable to seal the deal, because or oldest Chapman, who right now has been demoted from the closers role, at least temporarily. And we've seen this happen in the past when you go back to the 2017 season, albeit under Joe Girardi, where Girardi at that time gave him a little respite from closing out games. And then he was able to come back in September and perform well. And then obviously the 2017 season, although the Yankees fell short in the ALCS to the Astros, but the lasting images of that postseason isn't anything like what we saw in the last two postseasons where Altuve took him over the wall in 2019 and then Mike Brousseau did the same last year in San Diego. But now this time around, Altuve did take another Yankee pitcher over the wall. It wasn't Aroldis Chapman, it was Chad Green. And then interestingly enough, the night before when Aaron Judge hit a home run off of Zach Greinke and he's rounding third and he's tugging on his jersey, this time around, as Altuve hits the game-winning three-run homer, down 7-5 of all scores, and they win 8-7, and he gets the jersey ripped off, no microphone, buzzer, whatever is to be found, and the Astros salvage a big win, and that's a crushing blow for a Yankee team because, even with the break coming up right now, and a few days to kind of get away, but the good feeling that you would have had by sweeping the Astros, getting a little bit of redemption there, considering they won two out of three at Yankee Stadium earlier this year. But for them to have that bad taste in their mouths going into the break with a 7-2 lead in the ninth inning to lose it, and then they have to play the Red Sox coming out of the break in a very tough schedule to start off with them because they have eight of their first ten games against the Red Sox, which could determine whether or not the Yankees are buyers or sellers, but that's for down the road. But just a tough way to end the first half of your Yankee fan. And we have to see what the Yankees are going to do here. Because even though they're five and a half in the wild card and eight, I believe seven in the loss with the Red Sox, it's going to be an uphill battle for this team. And they're going to have to grind it out, knowing that their offense is in spurts. Their starting pitching isn't really reliable. And that's what we have there as far as the American League goes. The National League is pretty much the same deal. Your... National League West is going to be similar to the, can't say to the American League West because the American League West is going to be Houston, Oakland, and then you have Chicago. The White Sox will be the team that's going to come out of the Central, and then the East, you're going to have two teams come out of there, your division winner, of course, and then your wild card. Where in the NL, out West, it's going to be San Francisco, LA, San Diego, you would think, and then you have the Mets or the winner of the National League East. And even though the Reds, and give them credit, the Reds had a four-game series in Milwaukee in which they lost the first game. And at that point, they were six games behind in the division. And all they did was bounce back to win the next three to where they're just three games behind them. And guess who they play coming out of the break? They'll have a three-game set at home against the Brewers. So the Reds are hanging in tough. But the Reds are also that team like the Mariners. Are they going to go ahead and make any type of acquisition at the deadline to push to win a division? The Reds, as we know, historically, they're not going to do that. They're not going to be that team that's going to try to bring in, let's say, a relief pitcher or another bat or just some sort of utility player, a guy off the bench that they know they could get a big pinch hit or somebody of that elk or even a starting pitcher. Who knows? I can't say the Reds are going to do that. I'm sure they're going to do their best to compete and try to maybe bring in a fringe type player. But are they going to go ahead and make that one position player or that one pitcher that could change the outlook of the division and for them to win and maybe do something in the postseason? I don't know. I don't see that. But the Reds have put themselves in a good spot and then in the National League West, as I said, it's going to be those three teams that are going to come out of it. Because when we break down the wild card in the National League, Dodgers Padres right now are one and two the next team are the Reds at three and a half back two in the loss okay not bad but after that there is a precipitous drop-off where you have the Phillies at six and a half back the Braves at seven Cubs seven and a half and so on so unless the Reds like I said they're going to do something here to make a move to get themselves whether in the wild card mix or even in the division and remember they play the Brewers right after the break There's not going to be a lot of drama here in the National League either. Now, there could be some drama in the National League East, because the Mets, even though they're three and a half games and four in the loss, but that's still enough of a deficit for any team in that division to pick it up. Now, the Braves suffered an immeasurable loss on Saturday with Ronald Acuna Jr. trying to go after that fly ball in right field where he landed awkwardly on his right leg, tore his ACL complete tear you're not going to see him for I would say probably a year now it probably with medicine and obviously with the way science is in this day and age maybe we'll see him for opening day but yes you, if you watch that highlight that was just that was tough to watch this guy's one of the brightest stars in baseball it's going to be a huge loss not only for the Braves but baseball on a whole and will the Braves bounce back from something like this? who knows I mean that is a guy who is only three years in the league, and he is a walking and breathing MVP candidate before he even steps into the batter's box. So the Braves, they are going to have an uphill battle, and as it is, they've had a tough year to begin with. Who knows with the Phillies, we know about their bullpen, and they can't seem to get on track, although they had a great weekend in Boston where they won two games up in Fenway. And the Cubs, will they get on track? They just finished losing 11 in a row as their streak was finally snapped earlier this week the Cardinals they can't seem to find their way and you can forget about the rest of the National League after that so this is just something to keep an eye on hopefully things will shift things will change here over the course of the next few weeks but right now and as I've been saying time after time it does not look like baseball is going to be in for one of those roller coaster rides to where one team is going to pretty much rise from the dead a la the washington nationals from a couple years ago at 19 and 31 and granted that was in may we're already into mid-july so if any team's going to have a long run here they better start now because if not you may pretty much have your teams set for a postseason it's just a matter of where they end up especially if you're in the national league west the national league east I'll even say the American League West and obviously the National League East. You can forget about both centrals unless the Reds and maybe even the Indians have something to say about that. Now, a couple of quickies. As far as the All-Star game and a home run derby, I could care less. I know Pete Alonso is going to try to defend his crown from two years ago. But again, am I going to get wrapped up and crazy about that? I know the... Spotlight is going to be on Shohei Otani and especially in that thin air who knows how many home runs is going to hit and how far same for Alonzo for that matter I'm sure you're going to see some moonshots there tonight if you're going to watch the home run derby but I know a lot of the talk especially early last week with Jacob DeGrom he was scheduled to pitch Tuesday night where the Mets had a rain out shocker what else is new they played a zillion double headers this year and then the game was canceled he pitched there on Wednesday night was able to get off the hook with a no decision after he gave up a couple home runs. His ERA is now 1.09. So for all the talk about Jake flirting with Bob Gibson's 1.12, and I said this a few weeks ago, check the receipts. I said, call me in September and let's see where DeGrom is at then. Because there was no way that he was going to continue to keep up this pace where he wasn't going to give up an earned run every time he starts. But then Jake, who is bowing out of the All-Star game which is no surprise but I think he's not even making the trip. Uh you know what I should have looked at I believe when I first read the report that he wasn't going to perform in the All-Star game or that he was skipping it, I believe he also meant that he wasn't going to take the trip. Jake, if you're not going to pitch in the game, you got to make the trip. Uh, listen, that's what the people, I understand you're not going to be in the game, they want to see you pitch, but at least be there. And I would think come tomorrow night when they have the introductions, I'm sure he's going to tip his cap when he is introduced or you would think because if it's not I mean then why even bother with these all-star games for any player for that matter and I know you've had a couple of other players bow out but again it this means nothing at the end of the day I'm just highlighting it because I'm sure the Met fans probably wondering oh is j Reels going to give DeGrom a pass for not showing up in uh, Denver for the all-star game no he should be there even if he's not pitching and I get it he's got to fly out there altitude, whatever, but if you're not performing, you know what, just take a few pictures, watch the home run derby, cheer on Pete Alonso, hopefully the National League wins the game, because the American League wins the game all the time, and not only that, even with the game in Denver, I still won't be surprised if this ends up being like a 4-1, 5-2 type game, because these guys go through the motions, it's almost as if they don't want to be there, if you're a first timer, yeah, maybe you're excited, but then after a while, the pitching just dominates in these games, you rarely see the 9-8, 8-7 type game that you once saw many years ago, so that's why I can't get into it. And then you also have the draft, which was last night and it was actually on ESPN, which they started doing it here in the last few years. And to my surprise, I know a lot of the talk going into this College World Series, and I didn't really follow it. And I understand I didn't really talk about it. I absolutely did not talk about it. Where the first pick overall was the catcher, Henry Davis, goes to the Pirates, and then Outlider's son, Jack Liter, who's part of that tandem at Vanderbilt with Kumar Rocker and when the Mets were at 10 getting ready to draft and I did not pay any attention to it but when I noticed on the screen that the Mets had drafted Kumar Rocker I was shocked because all the talk was these two guys and how they performed here throughout the course of this year pitching for Vanderbilt and we understand that Lighter is probably the better pitcher and I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I know anything about Rocker I couldn't even tell you I couldn't even tell you what type, if he's a 98 mile an hour type guy with a deadly curve and a wicked slider. I couldn't tell you that. I do know that he was part of that tandem and to think that he fell down to 10 was very surprising because as we all know, big time pitchers do not grow on trees and you would think that a lot of the teams that were ahead of the Mets, and I don't have the whole list in front of me, but the point of the matter is, is that for a guy that was part of a dynamic duo in college baseball for him to go eight spots behind the number one pitcher on that team I mean that would make you raise your eyebrows too now I don't know if it's a thing where he probably fell in the draft due to whatever it was that happened off the field if it's an attitude thing whatever I don't know again major league baseball draft isn't like the NFL draft or the NBA draft so you kind of have to slowly but surely ease your way in and do the research and the homework and I wouldn't have brought it up if Rocker wasn't drafted by the Mets if he was drafted at nine I probably would have made a mention of it only because of everything I just said but because he fell to the Mets and they were able to draft him that's why I made a mention of it and let's see you figure a couple years down the road He's a guy that could be part of this rotation. Who knows? But I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, but God, he's going to be the next whomever. Dwight Gooden or I, I can't say that. And people say, come on, Jay Rios, you need to be on top of this. It's college baseball. I mean, who's watching college baseball? I mean, there's so many other sports to watch. I can't watch everything. And especially when you look at the College World Series, which was what, a few weeks ago, I got NHL playoffs where the Islanders are in the mix. Obviously the NBA stuff. Of course, I'm trying to follow regular baseball on top of that. Uh, it's too much I'm only one person I only have just One pair of eyes I don't have uh, 20 sets of eyes And I don't care how many Things I can record on a DVR I can only watch With so much stuff So We'll see how Rocker And that's going to be A couple years down the road But I had to mention that Only because The Hype that those pitchers Had received Throughout the course of the year And knowing that He's on the Mets Was a surprise to me So So that's what we have there Uh, the Dodgers were smart in nixing the Trevor Bauer bobblehead night and who knows how that's going to unfold here in the days and weeks to come Major League Baseball has extended the administrative leave Uh, I can't say who knows how long this investigation is going to take what's going to happen with his contract Uh, again it's way too early to even get into but it certainly doesn't look good for Bauer right now and All I can say is we shall see All right, now let's turn our attention to Wimbledon Across the pond And we'll also go across the pond later To preview the British But The story Of Wimbledon It belongs to Novak Djokovic And Right now he is on a roll And on a quest To do something that Only one person has done Over the last 52 years And mind you What is even more impressive Is that With his win at Wimbledon yesterday, he has tied both Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer for most Grand Slam titles of all time at 20. So to think, he started this year at 17 and now he's reached both of those guys as they share the mountaintop as the greatest players of all time. And I said this even after he won the French, how to me, Djokovic is the best men's player of all time. And it just shows, not only with his competition against Nadal and Federer, but what he's been able to do here later in his career, more so than the other guys a la Nadal, who won most of his titles on the clay surface at the French, and then Federer, who's now getting more and more removed from his last major champions, and that's not to discourage or disparage him, I should say, by any stretch, but at the same time, Djokovic is a robot he wins, after going down 6-7 in the first set, he comes back to win 6-4, 6-4, 6-3 over Matteo Berrettini, and Berrettini, he has some flash in his game, you know, I didn't watch every second of this, but you could tell, he's got a little pizzazz, he's got some charisma there, he wears the hat backwards, I understand it may upset the traditionalist, or the guy who's been the tennis fan forever, me, tennis needs anything and everything, to get some sort of attention, and if Berrettini's going to be that guy, now he has to play well, you know, he can't just talk a good game, and then he's out in the second or third round, obviously he made it to a Wimbledon final, but the thing is, is that he was still no match for Djokovic, even after losing the first set, and now Djokovic, who'll take some time off, I'm sure, who knows about the Olympics, I know there was talk prior to Wimbledon where he was asked about the Olympics and he says yes I want to go for not only the calendar grand slam but I also want to win a gold medal at the same time I think it'd be wise for him to take this time off because he's going to need as much gas in his tank not only just physically but mentally and even I'll say spiritually and emotionally for him to get this last one because he's coming to the media capital of the world in late August He is going to be the number one, two, and three storylines going into that U.S. Open. And I understand the tennis media is not the football media or the national media. I get that. But they will descend on Flushing Meadow to try to get any answer or ask any question to see if he's off by just a smidge. Because think about this, people. If you recall last year he was disqualified at the U.S. Open because remember if he struck a ball at a line judge I believe in the third round of the U.S. Open to where they kicked him out of the tournament they didn't even fine him or even let's say maybe suspended him afterwards maybe for the next tournament or two whatever it was no they pulled him right off the course and said goodbye which I understand may have been a bit harsh and it was certainly a hit on the tournament overall but whether it was intentional or not, that's something you don't do. Now, I get that it was a line judge. It wasn't as if he struck it at the umpire or the main official, but either way, I know it's a, it's definitely a tough call, but that's something you can't do and you have to compose yourself a little bit better than that. But the reason why I bring that up is because I'm sure Djokovic is probably burning inside knowing that the last time he stepped foot in Flushing Meadow was that incident and that was another opportunity for him to win a U.S. Open and for him to win another Grand Slam that he could possibly be the all-time leader as of this morning but the thing is even with that in his rearview mirror and I'm sure that that's not going to be the ultimate focus because he has to look ahead and not behind but knowing the way Djokovic is and the competitor that he is and let's face it the guy is a machine I'm sure he's going to use that as a little bit of motivation knowing that uh uh-uh I'm coming back to not only win a calendar grand slam but also win what should have been mine last year and I would not be surprised if in any of these press conferences that you hear leading up into the US Open that he just says something in reference to that now right he could go the other way and said, oh that's over with that's done I'm just looking forward to late August out in Queens if he says that great but would you be surprised if he did come out and say that yeah I remember that that should have been my US Open to win and I've been waiting to get back to the surface so I can reclaim what was mine no I would not be surprised so Djokovic give it up 20th Grand Slam overall but we have about six weeks until the US Open or at least the week before where I'll be back here and we'll have to gear up the hype machine and everything that's going to be about that men's tournament and pretty much that's what's going to be the US Open again He is going to be front and center as the guy being the first one in 52 years to win a calendar grand slam since Rod Laver. So we could exhale a little bit. We don't have to worry about tennis here for a while. But you know we're going to pick up for where he left off later on next month. Let's get to the other side of the pond with the British Open. I'll do this quick and I got a couple other things before I get to my Hero on Zero the Week and you're definitely going to want to listen to them because it's uh, some very interesting commentary that uh, is going to lie ahead so stay tuned and get ready strap your or I should say fasten your seatbelts because it is going to be a wild ride I could promise you the British Open kicks off the 149th version in the southeast of England the Royal St. George's golf course and Last year, in the past couple of years, I actually liked how the PGA has moved the PGA tournament from August until May, and of course this past year, that's Phil Mickelson when he won in Kiwa Island down in South Carolina, but as I thought about it this week in preparing for the podcast and getting ready to talk about the British Open, I kind of wish that they would revert and move the PGA back to August. It gives it a nice break between the Masters and the U.S. Open. So if you figure you have the Masters there in April to where Father's Day weekend, you have the U.S. Open. Then you have obviously the British now and then you'll close out pretty much your summer with the PGA as opposed to getting all four in a row. A few years back, I believe they started doing this off the top of my head. Geez, I should know this. But 2016-17, around there when they decided to have a consecutive from April May June July but I really feel and of course the PGA out of the four major tournaments is the fourth one now let's face it even though the British is across the pond but we know the history of the British the PGA doesn't have the same cachet it doesn't have that same flair that obviously the Masters has or even the US Open for that matter so to me to put it back in August And then I understand there's the Ryder Cup after that, which is the major that isn't the major. It's kind of like the fifth beetle. But here we are. With that being said, the fourth and final installment of the four majors here. And the one thing I could say for sure, and knowing that this golf course, similar to the PGA and even the US Open, which is going to be right off the coast there, As I mentioned, Southeast England, there is going to be a ton of wind and who knows, there may be a lot of rain. Now the weather, I haven't looked. Today I saw that it was actually in the 60s and sunny. I tell you, the British Open gods are crossing their fingers hoping that the same type of weather rolls in Thursday through Sunday because we have seen the windbreakers, the long sleeves, the sweaters and the elements could play a big part in this British Open now as we last seen in a major John Rahm was your winner there of the US Open we have said this time after time as far as who the top guys are going to be at the leaderboard or near the top the Rory McIlroys what happened to Dustin Johnson this year geez I mean I thought he was going to come back at least in the US Open considering how poorly he played in the Masters as well as the PGA but For whatever the reason maybe Dustin Johnson gets on track here or does he psychologically check out a little bit yeah not to say he's gonna tank or he's not gonna play well but who knows he's just going because not only he's one of the top golfers in the world but is he really going to be into it I don't know and again I'm not trying to say he's not into it or there's something going on in his life who knows but he has certainly been underwhelming and underachieved this year but who knows, maybe this could be a time for somebody else, whether your name is Lee Westwood, as I've said time after time, or Tommy Fleetwood, to get that championship. And who knows what some of the other guys that we've seen on the course, the Justin Thomases, the Justin Roses, uh, go on down the list. Will Zalatoris, who I thought maybe would, after his performance at the Masters, would move up the ranks here a little bit. But this will be his first shot here at the British who knows how he's going to be able to handle that not only just with the weather and the climate certainly remains to be seen so and who knows with Phil how he's going to play here Uh, to me it's going to be wide open and yes it's easy to pick the guys that I mentioned you know I haven't even talked about Xander Shoffley and you know Tony Finau as we all know he could put a fingerprint or two on this course but we all know his putting has been terrible I'm going to say, I'm going to go with the guy that, for me, I'm going to say either Lee Westwood, or I'm going to say Tommy Fleetwood. I'm going to say one of those two guys. You know, they've come so close here over the years, and you see them up there at the top of the leaderboard going into the final round, and next thing you know, it's just a missed shot here, a putt there, and they fall short. I'm going to pick one of those two guys to win it. I mean, obviously you could pick anybody. I mean, that's how it is. We know who is usually at the top of these leaderboards. There's always that one surprise. There's always that one guy that comes out of nowhere. Who knows what Hideki Masuyama is going to do here on this stage. So we'll see. I'll follow it. I'm sure the weather is going to play a tremendous factor throughout the course of the weekend. And as we wrap up our last major. And so far, the golf season, especially with the majors, we know about Phil there, as we talked about Akiwa Island. Matsuyama, historic there, being the first Japanese player to win the Masters. And then John Rahm, the first Spaniard to win. So who knows? Maybe we'll have another first. And that's been the trend so far in this golf season. So why would it uh, change at this stage as we're just a few days away from the start of the British Open? All right, now let's get to the. Match there on Saturday night Between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier I had a surprise podcast that I put up late Friday night For those who are new to the podcast It's pretty much an MMA 101 Because I haven't really discussed a lot of MMA Throughout the last three plus years That I've been doing this podcast But I know it's obviously a very popular sport It's something that I need to be more focused And more attentive to Understood and I brought in a guy who I know very well, and obviously knows the sport very well, and I one Frank torrado MMA and NYC.org. He schedules these meetups in Manhattan. If you live in a tri-state area, definitely want to check one of those out. I may actually go to the next one, which will be August 7th, that to be determined. But with this match, it certainly wasn't cracked up to what everybody was hoping for, this trilogy to where... You saw a little bit of an exchange there, the leg kicks, even McGregor trying to grapple there, Poirier landing some strikes. And then, where both participants were able to try to strike one another at the same time, and as McGregor went to plant his left foot there at the end of the first round, he turned his ankle, and in the process, as we found out later, breaks his left tibia to where he had three hours of surgery and was carted off in a stretcher, and I get that if you're the die in the wool MMA fan, to see it end like that, certainly did not conjure up any good memories, or any thoughts to think that you were hoping for a mano-a-mano, down to the wire, or just an exciting bout, where the second fight as we all know, Poirier just pretty much took it to McGregor, and then now, you got to wonder the future of Conor McGregor, as him being that top flight fighter, We know he's going to come back. He already posted on his Twitter that he's going to come back better than ever. The surgery went well. He's feeling great and good spirits. And yeah, he's going to do whatever it takes. Absolutely. But at the same time, as far as him being that type of elite, top of the rung fighter, whether it's in his division or in the whole sport, the old words, I'll believe it when I see it. Because like, my guy Frank said the other day he's on Mount Rushmore based on his popularity and what he's done to promote the sport but as far as defending a title as far as him being that guy who is must-see yeah he's must-see in a sense because of the character that McGregor is but you got to wonder is he going to be a guy that yes he's going to be box office yes he's going to draw eyeballs to the sets and pay-per-views and all that but is he going to have that type of I'll go as far as saying dominance. Is he going to have that type of aura that he's just going to go in there and have guys tap out on him or knock him out or go by technical knockout where he's going to do that McGregor strut out of the ring as victorious as he's been, I believe, 22 times prior in his career. This could be the end of the rope. And I'm not saying the end of the rope as far as his career is concerned. I'm saying the end of the rope of him being that guy that is going to be watch out, and he's going to win at all costs yeah we know that he's capable of doing so I know Frank said that the other day of course he's capable of winning any fight but now with this leg injury him getting up there in age the recovery process it's going to be long and arduous you would think and again I'm hand raised very high I am not the MMA expert but father time always wins unless your name is Tom Brady but it's one of those things where because of the way the sport is and the way you train and not only that but to get back in the ring and we all know that maybe certain fighters could maybe target that leg and your legs are prominent when it comes to mixed martial arts is he going to be that same fighter that's the question I ask and my answer to that is I'm going to say no yeah i will probably have his moments yeah he'll be a guy that I'm sure will entertain and may surprise you but as far as night in night out match in match out to be that guy that's going to be a foregone conclusion that he's going to walk out victorious no I can't see that and we'll see so Poirier wins by a technical knockout five minutes doctor stoppage because of the ankle and we shall see what the next step for Conor McGregor is you would think the recovery there's going to be a few months you probably won't see him until maybe the end of the year at the earliest but who knows And then Greg Hardy, I mentioned him the other day on the podcast. He, the former NFL player, Carolina Panthers, Dallas Cowboys. He lost the other night. And we understand that he's a name based on the sport he played prior. I didn't watch the fight. I don't know if he's a guy that, I believe his record's now, what, 4-4 and in that division. Now listen, I'm sure they're going to continue to roll him out because of who he is. I'm sure to the diehard MMA guy or UFC fight fan They're going to look at Greg Hardy's He's like oh he's fighting oh, Okay next You know they're not going to Take him super seriously As far as him being a guy That can move up in the ranks Understood You could totally understand why So The next UFC I believe August 7th We'll keep our eyes close to that And a lot of UFC matches moving forward And speaking of fighting real quick I know that the Fight later on this month between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder has now been rescheduled or postponed, I should say, until later in the year. It hasn't been rescheduled as of yet. Fury tested positive for COVID. That fight, I believe, was for July 24th. So, who knows? Are you going to see a November fight with these guys? Maybe a September fight? You may see. This will be their third go around. And we know the last time Fury destroyed Deontay Wilder and Wilder's excuse, let's face it, was that he came to the ring wearing that 40 pound metal outfit and he said by the time it took him whatever it was a half hour to go from the locker room into the ring by the time he took it off and was able to catch his breath he was already done All right, you want to attribute that Deontay you could do that my guy but hopefully they do rematch we know the boxing the sport on a whole I'm not going to say every division every class is a joke but we know that the heavyweight division has been that for God knows how many years I mean think about it to be the heavyweight champion in the world once upon a time was the biggest athlete on the planet all you got to say is Muhammad Ali and you already know but Mike Tyson but that is not the case and it's been far from the case so I just had to throw that in there where Fury and Wilder will somewhere down the road reconnect and have their third fight and then finally and I know this is going to piss off the soccer fan or the football fan, because I know it's not called soccer. I get it. It's American football and then football. When it comes to soccer, there was this Euro Cup that took place. And I believe this was supposed to take place last year, but because of COVID, they postponed it a year, all the Olympics. So Italy made it to the final against England, where the championship match was at Wembley Stadium. And I believe England scored early, where Italy followed up with a goal there late and it went to penalty kicks I understand with the overtimes the two of his 15 minute overtimes it had to go to penalty kicks and I do not want to hear from the soccer fan I don't care j real, stay in your lane you don't know what you're talking about you wouldn't watch soccer if it's in your backyard you would pull the blind so on and so forth you want to say that? you absolutely can you know me I am transparent I am credible I'm not going to make up stuff that I don't know about and I'm certainly not going to talk about something that I don't know about claiming that I do know about But there is one thing that I do know about, and I've been watching sports pretty much since birth. So if it's a Stanley Cup final, a Super Bowl, or an NBA final, they are not gonna go to a home run derby after nine innings. They're not gonna go to a three point shooting contest if it's after one overtime in an NBA final. Or does this sound familiar? A shootout in hockey like they do in the regular season, you gotta understand why. But if it's a Stanley Cup playoff game, and in particular, a Game 7 Stanley Cup for the trophy, they're not going to go to shootouts. And I don't want to hear that they're on skates, that they're able to glide across the ice, that they play on a level where it's 200 feet by 85, not a gigantic soccer field, which is obviously the size of a football field, where these guys are running 6 to 8 miles a game. Well, guess what? Maybe they should run 8, 12, 15, 20 miles, maybe even a marathon. In order to win a game. How about that? Because at that point. I don't want to hear about they're. Going to be tired. Or it's too physical for them running up and down the field. Somehow. Some way. Find a way to win the game. Because believe it or not. That's where you'll have your greatest drama. Because it's not even just a physical war of attrition. It is a mental and spiritual war of attrition. That any mistake. Whether it's by the goalie. Whether it's by the defense. Whether whomever it may be. Whether they make that mistake if it's in the 190th minute, the 300th minute, or the 500th hour. I don't care. It should never come down to penalty kicks for a championship. What kind of disgrace is that? The drama would only build as the game goes on. Yeah, who's going to be the one that's tired? Who's going to be the one that needs an IV on the sideline? Who's going to be the one that's going to need oxygen or water? That's where you have legends. That's where you have classic legendary games not that it ends in penalty kicks not the championship game you want to do everything leading up to the semifinals I wouldn't like it but I would understand because you can't have a semifinal game where let's say one country wins two nil over the other and then the other game goes five hours all right I'll grant you that but for the whole trophy for you to hoist that cup or that trophy over your head I don't care what time that game ends. That is theater. That is where it can't be duplicated. That is why sports is beautiful. To see who's going to get that breakaway. To see who's going to get that opportunity to win the game or to score that goal. To see who's going to fall. Who's going to make the mistake. And I get that earlier in the tournament, you had a guy collapse from Denmark. I understand that. Okay. You got to take the pulse of these players throughout the course of the game. But that's the same in football. Remember, there was a Super Bowl in Atlanta. No, it was in Houston. It was Atlanta versus New England. The game was in Houston where the game went into overtime. And as we saw, the defense for Atlanta couldn't do anything to stop the New England Patriots. So what happened? Game over. They scored a touchdown. Patriots are your Super Bowl champions. That's how the game should be played. Not all it's overtime. So let's what? Let's get our field goal kicker to line up to see if we can kick a 50-yard field goal and whoever kicks the most wins the game. Garbage! got it out this is for all the marbles why do you think you had? how could any soccer game be a classic game if it ends in penalty kicks how I don't care if Italy scored in the final second of the second overtime or the running time whatever it is and then it goes to penalty kicks I said it before and I'll say it again you took all the starch out of that game based on penalty kicks when all they could do is just continue to play on you think these players would just want to quit after that of course they'd want to play they need to have more incentive but break it up have your 15 minute take a rest and go back out there do it again you know it's not like hockey where I understand you go to the locker room and take 15 minutes off you can't have players do that you have your 15 minute and then you take whatever 3 minutes and back at it why not why can't we change the rules? Why can't it evolve? No, this is the way the sport has been, Jay Reels. You can't change the game. Why not? Sadly, they changed baseball and all this other stuff because of COVID and all this other nonsense. I get it because it's what's going on in the world even though they should go back and revert but that's another story. But again, you take all the drama out of the game by going to penalty kicks. And I've been watching sports forever. If that was my team, England, I'd be sick to my stomach. That... Not only were you not able to get a penalty kick But that's it Your season ended based on that Not because a guy tripped over another guy And another player was open to kick the game winning goal Or your goalie was way out of the net And he overplayed the ball And somebody put it past him Yes that would be brutal But still That would be the way to end the game Not on penalty kicks I mean I can't say it anymore So I'm going to leave it at that let's go on to my hero in zero of the week my hero of the week goes to Zayla avant the 14 year old from Louisiana outside of New Orleans who became the first African American to win the Scripps National Spelling Bee the other day and she's not the first person of color I believe in the 80s there was a girl from Jamaica who won the or maybe it was 1998 I said 88 she won the national spelling bee but the first African American and because of her triumph she's actually receiving scholarship offers from various universities so kudos to you girl wear that championship proudly you are my hero of the week and my zero of the week and I'm going to go back to the soccer fans because I gotta give a big giant fat zero to the England fans for directing abuse of racist comments toward three players on the team who are black by the way for missing penalty kicks in yesterday's championship match so not only do you lose the game on penalty kicks but you have to yell out stupid obscenities and racist comments toward these players who miss penalty kicks when if they just played it straight you wouldn't have this issue and that's not to say that of course if you're racist you're racist there's probably still going to spew hatred toward these players even if they would have lost in regulation or whatever but because of what took place yesterday and having these comments just thrown down upon them upon leaving the field you got to deal with this nonsense and of course the English team and the league itself came out and denounced anybody who had any hatred or any type of racial comments that were said at the end of the game so they shut that down with the quickness but still for them to come out and I get it it's your country and you went that far to lose but to go that route my guys you are my zeros of the week. So that'll do it. That was a jam-packed hour and 20-some-odd minutes. Thank you for being able to listen to what it is I say about what goes on in the world of sports as your trusted source to bring you all of my analysis, thoughts, opinions, etc. I sincerely and greatly appreciate it. And as I mentioned at the top, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts just to promote the expansion and growth of this podcast. I would sincerely and greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, you could do so at Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. Also, Twitter, J Reels 1, just the number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page. Or by email, the podcast at gmail.com. You can hit me up with a DM. Any questions, comments, criticism, praise, feel free to reach out. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And then lastly, if you'd like to contribute to the podcast, you could do so... At www.patreon.com Slash the J Reels Podcast That's P as in Paul A T as and Tom R E O N is in Nancy What that's going to do Whatever you want to put forth will continue to Keep the website up and running Whatever equipment From a production standpoint Just to enhance Not only the product here From a visual standpoint But obviously from an audio standpoint So whatever you want to Chip in From the bottom of my heart, I would sincerely appreciate it and be thankful for it. Because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. Sports is in the blood. It goes way back, pretty much since the womb. My thoughts, opinions, analysis, as I mentioned, to break down everything that's happening, to entertain and inform you on everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. Also, of note, I'm going to have a guest this coming Thursday. If you watch the Showtime docu-series, The Kings on the four fighters of the 80s, that would be Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, Roberto Duran, Hands of Stone, and of course, Thomas the Hitman Hearns. I had the director, Matt Whitecross, join me to discuss that. A very interesting conversation that he and I had that will come this Thursday, so you won't want to miss that so please stay tuned and keep yourself abreast on the website for more info and of course my social media accounts as well from the South Bronx the South Beach the South Central the South Pacific and all points beyond peace love and God bless everybody and until this coming Thursday my talk with Matt Whitecross the director of the Kings from Showtime the docuseries that has already aired and it's on demand right now and until next time on the J Reels Podcast on the flip baby